Communicate Insights. Hi, my name is Ben Rushton. You're listening to the Communicate podcast brought to you by Communicate Insights. I'm sat today with my colleague, uh, Dr. Andrew Clark. We've asked uh, clients what they'd like to hear from the business. And uh, most interesting, the trend seems to be marketing technology or at least those things which bridge the gap. So today we decided we were going to talk about uh, RFID and near field communication. It's a technology that lots of us are actually using uh, and, and, and there's boundless opportunities for it as the Internet of Things emerges. Andrew, um, can you explain how RFID works? Morning, Ben. Um, RFID is a, a joint pro- process with a transponder and a receiver where a radio wave is sent from the transponder but on a command from the receiver. So you have a, you have a tag on an item, on a thing. Um, when that thing gets near enough to a, a receiver, uh, a signal is sent which identifies a serial number or information from that thing to that tag. So, so, um, so it would be a, maybe a cargo box of, of steel or any any item that you want to track really so anything that you want to identify and know the movements of and is there a difference between RFID and NFC near field communication only in terms yes there is um, in ter- the technologies are slightly different There's the um, range in which they operate is slightly different RFID works in various forms but up to about 10 meters of a distance um, near field communication NFC works in a much shorter range in the sort of inches and so basically needs to be touching Right, okay. And um, obviously I'm holding um, a clear NFC tag here, uh, which you can buy and basically um, adhere to anything. In, and they're also infinitely programmable. Um, there doesn't appear to be any battery. So my understanding is that uh, you touch one of these things onto a receiver and an amount of current is passed through it so through some kind of induction, which triggers a signal from a chip. So is this the type of technology that they're using in, in banking, on bank cards, Apple Pay and what have you? NFC is used in phones for Apple Pay. It's used on bank cards now, yes. Um, it's, it's slightly more secure than RFID. Um, you would see RFID in if you went into a shop and bought something. That's, things like um, uh, razor blades come with an RFID tag associated to them because they're a high steel item. Um, so you would see uh, an RFID would be two-inch square piece of paper with a coil of metal on it, whereas an NFC would be internal into a gadget. And, and in terms of the scale of the industry, if it is an industry, in fact, what sort of levels of adoption of RFID seen? And, and you know, how, how, how do you see the future for NFC? RFID is currently, the market share is growing. Um, we've, we've seen uh, reports of, the, of growth up into the billions, now up into the 13 billion uh, in, in market growth, market share. Um, I think the adoption of RFID and the development of RFID really depends on the price of the tag itself. The, there's, been, there's been quite a slow growth or quite a slow reduction in cost, so growth in use. RFID 10, 15 years ago was, was 10 cents a tag, and it's still about 5 cents a tag. So it really needs to drop to a decimal point per tag to become ubiquitous. At that kind of a level, RFID tags are used on container items and not individual items. So there are uses there, and there are, are uses for identification and tracking, but we're not seeing this explosion into the Internet of Things and this explosion into individual pro-item uh, tracking. On NFC, um, I think the, the technology adoption is there. I think the issue is in terms of cultural acceptance 
of um, moving from cash to to uh, wireless paying systems. And once that cultural acceptance is, is taken up, I think that it will grow. Um, is there a benefit that makes NSC more desirable than other wireless technologies? I mean, what's the point of putting a, an NFC chip, for example, in a phone if um, you ultimately have to have the phone turned on? Why is everything not just connected by standard Wi-Fi connection? That's, there are alternatives in terms of radio. Well, you need an authentication method. Yeah. You need a person. The, the, the human has to say, I want to, I want to spend. They're so, done with a bank card. So with an NFC bank card, they'll place it on the EPOS and make the sale. That's not authenticating you and your card. It's a piece of plastic in your hand. Whereas on Apple Pay, obviously you have to put your finger on the button to authenticate you with the phone before you're allowed to use the Apple Pay sequence. There, there is, I suppose, there is an argument for saying... Have, uh, is that security? Uh, is the fingerprint reading security necessary, or is it something that Apple have chosen to um, adopt to uh, make them separate from the market, to make them stand out? And people think Apple are taking this seriously, and Apple aren't, aren't uh, Apple are a leader in this market because they have this fingerprint technology. And is it strictly necessary? If the payment is re- is restricted to a certain amount, i.e., with wireless payment, you have a thirty pound limit. Um, if that's restricted on the phone, I'd, I'm not sure if it is, but if it is, then there's really no need for a secure system. Maybe it just makes the user feel more comfortable using it. Maybe. I mean, there are known security issues with NFC, right? particularly to do with scanning. I mean, there's people you can see in, in, in mainstream retail wallets that you can buy that say that they are FID protecting or, or, or radio, radio uh, impervious, whatever the phrase you want is. Um, is that a, a, do you think that's a long-term issue associated with this type of technology? Do you think there's a workaround? Is there a way of creating multi-level authentication? There's, there's a, I think there's a balance here for me. I think we're moving away from the fact that, that cash can be stolen, and we seem to have forgotten that. And we're moving into an era, era where we say, OK, my contactless payment, my card payment must be secure regardless. Mm-hmm. Yet we're quite happy to say, oh, I lost, I lost a fiver. And we don't seem to have joined those up. So there's a cultural acceptance here of just saying, well, it's, it's as secure as I am. You know, I don't leave my wallet and, and expect no one to have taken it. So why would I think the same thing would be true of a, of a card? Yet we assume that it will be secure. And then if, if not, we abdicate that responsibility to the bank and we say, OK, I got scammed or I got scanned or whatever it might be. And the bank needs to refund that instead of saying... I just lost my wallet and, and uh, you know, I, I just have to accept that. We, we've moved from that with cash and we don't seem to accept the same cultural shift into cards. So to divert this conversation somewhat, there are lots of people out there talking about NFC. Some people are saying it's redundant technology already. Some people are saying it's the future. Some people are connecting it to the Internet of Things. So, for example, um, if, you mark, if it's cheap enough, cost of entry is low enough, you could mark direct mail, direct mail, go through a letterbox... The letterbox can know that it's, it's, it's being received, therefore um, Royal Mail can do a registered post thing without actually having signatures on doors. Um, RFID tags on groceries going into fridges, so fridges know what stock they've got, almost like personal stock control. Yeah. Um, and, and an aggregation of data, because these RFID tags allow um, inanimate objects to be tagged, but to be relating to your, your personal world. Um, have you got any thoughts on um, how tagging can assist the emergence of the Internet of Things? 
I think that as we are moving, as we are culturally accepting the, um, the, the concept of uh, direct sales through Amazon, through Ocado, thing, where, where, where we're happy to click and, and wait for that to be delivered. The, uh, if we move down to the uh, individual level, where the, that, that actual tin of beans has a tag as opposed to the box, then when I choose to do my shopping, when I choose to go online and I choose to buy something, then we can, it's a good and a bad, we can automate the whole system. So I can have a robot selects everything as opposed to a human selecting things. Um, that, and that, that if, if we take that concept, that can then be built out and we can say that um, all stock, all stock control for everything can then be automated, which would make it quicker, more efficient, less prone to error, but reduces jobs. If we then take that to another level, we then say, okay, how does the Internet of Things come into all this? Well, there's a cultural acceptance here. If I choose to um, have things talking to each other, like my, uh, my house alarm talking to my smoke alarm, which talks to my phone, which lets me know what's going on, and then that flicks a camera on in my house, and having all these things talking to each other, then there's no logical reason why... I can't have a reader on my letterbox which reads the letter as it comes through and then, it, and, and then confirms the, the delivery. Um, there's no logical reason why my cupboard, my fridge, whatever, can't have a reader on that says, I've just used that thing, that emails the shop and they, they send me another one. You know, there, there's no, we, we can automate this whole system assuming, assuming that people are comfortable with this level of data, this level of information being, being open out. But how far can one take the just-in-time principles of distribution and this ever-growing um, expectation for instancy, at what point do the, the, the lines cross and say, actually, we can't make this occur any faster? You know, if, if I run out of beans and they're not in my fridge, at what point someone's going to walk to the fridge and say, I know I'm out of beans, but where are they? It's, it's, <laughs> there has to be kind of a, a, a normal sort of humanity in the process. Nothing. Everybody's starting to expect everything on, on demand all the time, and you can't make tangible things on demand. That's the preserve of the web and internet and media. Um, the, what I think you're suggesting there is effectively you can expedite the process by providing effectively what is a personal stock control system and EPOS. Um, uh, requesting your your shopping or requesting batteries because your machi your machinery is running out of its batteries or your mobile phone needs charging and it tells you or at what point do these things cross over? Well, there's there's a, there's a, a difference. There's a vast difference between the technology being able to do something and the cultural acceptance of that thing, right? And and the technology is there, assuming mm. that the the items are cheap enough, assuming the tags drop down to a cheap enough level. And, and if the use is greater, then the, you get the, the uh, economies of scale will drop the price. Um, but does that mean the consumer wants that? Well, that's a totally different story, right? We still have newspapers, but there's no technological reason why. It's just people like opening news, opening the paper and reading it. So there's, a, there's an adoption issue there. Um, but th there's also a fear of who else is going to be using that information. Is, it, 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 with the Big Brother concept, is that data going to be used uh, positively or is it going to be used to track? Is it going to be used negatively? How is that data going to be used and what, and what, what for? So in terms of the um, people having issues with club cards, with, with uh, being tracked and scanned, now, if we take this to the, to the nth degree, then what does that mean? So there's a cultural issue there and the cultural issue will, will restrict uh, development and growth, but the ability is still there. That's interesting. I mean, on a very pragmatic level, um, 
if we were to talk about some of the low-level applications of NFC, perhaps we can think about um, how the technology could be used as a form of direct response, for example. So um, I saw a number of adverts placed in a mainstream consumer magazine which um, required the user to touch their mobile phone onto the ad and, and, and then they were provided with a net benefit because they did it. Um, also, I've seen recently um, RFID tags on um, high-value marketing items where you, the, the, essentially the marketeer was investing in pushing a benefit onto a consumer. Do you think um, that we're at a place now where people understand NFC and RFID enough to do that? Or do you think we've got a way to go? By in implementing these technologies in things like phones, we are targeting the early adopters. Hmm. We are therefore not targeting the markets that wouldn't be warm to receive that anyway. So we're, we're targeting people who are, who are used to mobile communication, used to mobile shopping, um, and therefore are comfortable with the concept. We're not targeting the people who are um, still, would still rather go to their local butchers and have a chat. We're targeting people who are happy to, to open their phone and buy stuff and have it delivered the next day. So we're, we're targeting the early adopters. And because of that, the, the growth might be smaller, but the adoption rate will be quicker. Do you think it's an education issue? Do you think it's... Um the fact that people don't seem to be able to link, or in my experience, having talked to a few people about it, don't be, be, be able to link together how NFC and RFID tags are already ubiquitous. And what I mean by that is, your baby's born in hospital, the tag on the leg, there's a good chance it'll be an RFID tag. You know, uh, you, you go and buy goods from the grocer which are high value, they'll be tagged. Um, you go and buy electronic items, they'll be tagged. Um, the, the, your card has your tag in. Yeah, it, we are surrounded by it, but for whatever reason, um, if then the, it's because so many of them are passive, there's no real need to interact with them as a consumer. Um, if you then require someone to interact with it, it becomes transactional, it becomes a burden. Do you think that actually the future of this technology is wholly passive as opposed to interactive? I think that um, once we, we have a better understanding of how this impacts, our freedoms of, of uh, our data protection. I think once we understand how the data protection laws will be adapted to accept these technologies, um, proliferation of the technology will be greater. I think um, there will be a balance between active and passive. The adoption is widespread, you're right, in, in the uh, manufacturing markets, but it's not widespread to the consumer level. Yes, items you buy attract, but they're not tracked to your home, they're tracked to the store and then they leave after that. You don't, you don't have a, a, a transponder in your house. No. So once we get to that level, we're talking a whole new Big Brother area in this. And, and there will be people who, well, you know, there will be people who say, uh, my personal data, I don't want that, I don't want to be tracked. Mm. You know, so there will be people who, who refuse to adopt. But is there, is, is, are we talking there about um, people also not, not understanding what data looks like? You know, personally, this is just entirely my personal view, I would count my own movements, my own financial transactions and my preferences as private to me, um, whereas um, I might be willing to let my supermarket know that I've run out of beans. I'd, well, it, no, de it, depends, it depends, you see, because then does your health insurance company say, OK, I want to see what you're eating? Right. Do they want to see the data of where you walk, where you go? Does your, does your life insurance change because you, you shop in a certain shop? 
because the statistically... The consequences of the data release. Yes. Statistically, there will be analysis and, and demographics saying um, this part of the country shop in this type of shop and have a life expectancy of X. Mm. So the life insurance companies will then weight their risk mm. based on this data. And pensions, no doubt. Absolutely. Mm. So is that, is that a road we want to go down? Because that is ultimately where, where the, the data, if the data is there, it will be used for any purpose that someone with enough money to buy it can use it for. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, people will, will um, have their, uh, their, their um, premium for their life insurance rated on the data that's being taken from them. Is that a correct thing to do? I, I'm, I'm, I struggle with that. So we've talked about what is RFID, what's NFC, how the technology works, perhaps taking a glimpse at the risks and opportunities in this meandering conversation. But what I've really talked about, like to talk about, is the, the innovation piece at the end. You know, to take this down as a pragmatist, we're, you know, we're a B2B marketeer. Um, how might this manifest in the future and what do we need to know about it? And what I mean by that is, you know, I've already been approached by printers, by events managers, by marketing innovators, shall we say, who are not necessarily... I don't necessarily think they fully understand the potential of technology, but it is a differentiator for them. Um, If we've got the mainstream banks and the mainstream grocers driving adoption, there is a very good chance that that acceptance of the technology will tear down into our B2B space. So can we just have a quick think about what are the overriding opportunities and also risks associated with this technology from our perspective as B2B marketeers? I think the use of RFID within um, in the industrial processes, uh, within sales from the industrial side is mature and established. I think use and adoption within the consumer personal level is established in certain areas, in certain sectors, with early adopters in terms of um, contactless payment. I think the opportunities are huge for reaching and interacting on a personal level with uh, the consumer. Um, That may well be within putting a a phone onto a page to play a video. It may be in terms of um, engaging at an event so you get a a feedback response with your uh, your audience. It could be in terms of... uh, a way of interacting with with maybe I don't know t- t- programs on TV, but it but the 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 growth area I see is that development of the interaction with the consumer. In terms of risks, so here's a question for you: When I build a site, um, the customer is always the client is always concerned by what type uh, of data I'm acquiring as a net result of the interaction with their client or the wider world. So what that means is things like your cookie policies. Um, if you email someone and they click a link and fill a form out, what am I actually collecting on their behalf? You know, we are the, the guardian in some cases of our client's information. Um, and if they click a link and they hit server, I've got a server record of who they are because they filled a field out. I know who I know where they are based on their IP address, often if it's static. And and then they, they express a load of interests, for example. Now, I accept that we have to take responsibility for data there. In the context of NFC, how, how do you think that works? It's a tricky one because there aren't currently, there isn't an industry standard for RFID technologies. So one company might use one system, another one might use another. And so therefore there's no data protection standard around using this information. And, and so the consumer needs to be protected. The consumer needs to understand what they're buying into. 
Um, so uh, once we have a structure and a framework that we can work from, I think then the consumer can gain trust and confidence in using that, uh, using that technology and understanding if I use that, uh, it, what, what are the implications in terms of my data use and, and where will it be stored and who, who will have access to that? Mm. It's an interesting, I think this, where this is all going, it's an interesting kind of consolidation or aggregation of information. For me, NFC is specific to mobile devices. You know, you're not touching laptops onto your, onto pay for the tube and you're not touching them onto magazines. It's, it's, a, it's very much a mobile specific technology. I think mobile now gives the marketeer a lot more information than consumers can possibly understand in terms of the device type, location, you can aggregate it with other data you've got on that individual and find out who they are, what they are, and where they are, which is all a bit scary, Mary. Um, NFC is a way of ultimately forcing that packet of data back to the marketeer wanting to acquire it. So, uh, and I think part of me says, uh, as marketeers, we just need to be, if we're using this technology, a little bit more explicit. I think my advice, if I have any, is that we should, like the early days of cookies when the EU regulations came out, we should be very overt to say what we are acquiring from you when you click this thing, when you touch this thing. Because I think at the moment, if you look at um, bank cards and you look at uh, payment systems, you kind of it's kind of implied. I'm sure there are, you know, accept accept buttons when you install the install the the uh, software on your on your device. But ultimately. Um, with the very low-level stuff that marketeers are involved with that's non-transactional, I think we still have a responsibility to say, eyes wide open, touch this on here, and we will do this for you, and we will record this. That's, so in other words, if we don't have an industry standard, and people are kind of setting their own policies, let's just go back to basics. There's, there's a reputational risk there, isn't there? There is. There's, there's a risk where the customer loses faith in the organisation, and, and that... that that needs to be, as you say, open and honest. That needs to be up, up front, right from the go. So that's the end of our podcast today. Thank you very much, Andrew, for your contribution. Thank you very much. Um, for those listeners who found that informative or useful, um, please visit the communicateco.com website uh, where you'll be able to pass comment or feedback to us. If you've got ideas on other subjects or things that you find are conundrums where technology and marketing meet you know where we are this podcast series is brought to you by communicate insights and we thank you for listening communicate insights